Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot CEO. Don't forget to add the two-on-one podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of your application. Now get ready for the rest of the episode. Lads, we're back. Hey guys. Yes. Woo! All right. We've got a busy show. There is a lot going on in the NHL, but first, before we we talk about that, we're going to talk about basketball for once. And you know, the state of Ryerson School of Journalism isn't the best right now, but if there's one man who's trying to keep it all together and doing a fantastic job of it, it's this man we have on today. Welcome to the show, Donald Higney. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I don't know if I can live up to that intro, but I'll do my best. It's all right, man. You already have. Yeah, exactly. Just by being here. Right. Sorry, go ahead, Donald. Well, I appreciate it. Nonetheless, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Donald, listen, the Raptors. I can't stop thinking, like, watching the Sportsnet commercials when they, like, talk about betting odds. It's like, you know what? Everyone's going to repeat chance, but you're going for the underdog Raptors. And I look at the start of the year, and I'm like, maybe you should change that commercial a bit. Well, in classic Raptors fashion, they somehow pull it together, and here we are, 15 and 15, 500. Technically in the playoff race, technically not in the play-in games, like, they, they have pulled it together. I figured it was going to happen at some point. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's happening now, kind of at the end of the season. Raptors got seven games left, and then it's the All-Star break. So, you know, it's been, it's been a fun watch. It's been a fun watch seeing this team pull it together. Character. We all love it. And you know what? I remember I jokingly tweeted something like, I think it was Giannis was playing, Antetokounmpo was playing hurt, and I'm like, that's Raptor-level character. And then he re-signed. And then he'd be, <laughs> I, I wanted, I wanted to believe, I wanted to believe the Giannis hype so bad, like the Maasai connection, you know, I live in Greek town. There's a plethora of great Greek food here in Toronto, the great Greek community. I really wanted to believe that all those things mattered, but at the end of the day for Giannis, it was, you know, loyalty to Milwaukee, loyalty to, to the organization that has bet on him and believed on him. Uh, is that the is lo- is loyalty in the NBA the right move uh, for to get to get the money to get the money? Absolutely, but in the long term, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. So then, what's the play if Gian- Giannis isn't there? I mean, I, I think from the last time I checked, there were a few still some big names who could hit free agency. What's then? What's the play for the Raptors? The play the play is probably resigning Kyle. Uh, let me check the Raptors cap situation real quick. So, cause Kyle is making $30 million and that makes, um, that makes everything more complicated. Uh, they just gave out big contracts to Fred. They gave a big contract to OG. They gave it Pascal. Oz obviously has a, um, he has a big uh, contract as well. So it's Kyle and it's Norm because Norm also has a player option this year making $11 million. And you don't really see those contracts between $8 million to $12 million anymore. Those are, those are kind of contracts that you get um, 
those are contracts that you kind of need to like build up to a big trade. And I'm not saying the Raptors are going to make a big trade, but you need a contract like that to kind of get it going. So yes, Kyle, free agent. Norm has a player option. Uh, Patrick McCaw is a free agent. Stanley's a free agent. Basically, the majority of the core guys the Raptors have taken care of. They are. We know where they are. We know what they're making. We know how many years they have left. It's Kyle, which is the big wild card. And you know, you never know what's going to happen with Kyle. You never know. You want to believe that he's going to stay. I personally believe that he's going to stay, but you never know how the season's going to play out. Uh, there was rumors that he put his house up for sale here in Toronto, but that's also concerning the fact that he probably has not been back to Toronto in coming up to a year now with the pandemic. So maybe he's just making a smarter decision to downsize. Who knows? When you're starting to look at like players like listings and stuff like that, you're going down a slippery slope. You know, I, no matter what sport it is, we can say that for all of it, like legacy is so important and no, like there's nothing quite like an all time great staying with their team for the entirety of their career. Talking about sort of the sense of if it's smart to keep Kyle, if it's smart to let him go, how important is Kyle Lowry to this city and this team? That great that's a great question kyle there is no toronto raptors championship there is no this great run of toronto raptors basketball there's no this build up of canadian talent that we're seeing right now without kyle lowry and that and the raptors got kyle lowry by accident they were trying to get steve nash and nash went to la and the raptors had to pivot and had to find a point guard called up houston who had their own point guard situation and here in rio we got kyle lowry who at that point in his career was kind of seen as a little bit of a malcontent, hothead, you know, could never really put it together for long stretches. He backed up Mike Conley out in uh, Memphis, ended up in Houston, and then Toronto took a flyer on him. And, I mean, it's worked out. Every, every lineup Kyle is in with the Raptors, since he has gotten here, he makes every lineup better. There's that running joke on Raptors Twitter, the Kyle and bench lineups. What Kyle and bench lineup is going to kill it this year? Because it happens every year where Kyle just makes the entire team better, but he also comes to play. Like the Raptors playoff failures that happened in the playoffs. Like, yeah, some of, some of that was on Kyle. Some of that was, you know, not being healthy during that time. But I think those are more on DeMar than Kyle. Because if DeMar wasn't shooting well, DeMar wasn't really providing anything else of value, like defensively or anything like that. Kyle Kyle's a hustle god. He's taking charges left and right. He's playing hard on defense. He's doing every single thing he can on every single possession he plays. So Kyle, Toronto, Toronto has this kind of blue-collar working mentality that I sometimes believe, sometimes don't believe as a native of the city. If, if, it, if it really is true, if it really is true, Kyle Lowry is the embodiment of that, like hardworking, like let's show up to work, first one in, last one out mentality. And it would be a shame if he left. It really would because there has been no greater Raptor career-wise, than Kyle Lowry. Really? Over, over Vince, over everyone, eh? Well, I'm also taking into consider playoff success. Kyle, even, even, without, even without the championship, Kyle, led, Kyle and DeMar led the Raptors to the farthest they had ever been, Eastern Conference Finals. You know, yes, they lost in six to the Cavs, and some of those games are a lot further apart than people like to remember, but they took two games off the Cavs that year. Pretty sure that was the year they won maybe mistaken on that 
it's been it's been a long it's been a lot of playoff runs that kind of get jumbled <laughs> together but I think I think it's Kyle I think it's Kyle without a doubt I think the heart that this man has showed the fact that every lineup he plays in is better he reps for the city so hard he's been consistently good like it's very hard for me to not say Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's top three in the Raptors for points, assists, and rebounds. You don't have a lot of those guys in, uh, in the NBA where they're top three in those categories. Mm-hmm. I have one question, Donald, and it's a big thing that uh, you've mentioned about, you know, there's a lot of unknowns going on right now with the Raptors. So a big thing Josh Lewinberg um, wrote about was the idea of a transition year for the Raptors, especially the way they kind of dealt with their money, they dealt with the contracts kind of thing. Um, one thing I kind of look on, and you know, it's been a big thing that Will mentioned as well about like, look who's tuning into Toronto sports now. It's like, you know, the Leafs are really good now, so you know, you see a lot of more Twitter talk on that. Um, I guess, like from the fan perspective, how far are we from the enthusiasm of the championship to what we are now, like moving forward to what's going to happen next season? For example, like on my desk right now, I still have the hat, I still have the ring. Like that's still thing for me, but like I guess from from the fan perspective, like what what does it look like? I think I think the luster of the championship has weared off a little bit, considering how last year's playoffs went. You know that like if you're just taking if you're just taking it from a fan perspective and you're not really like rooting for one team or rooting for the other team. That seven game series was like one of the most fun basketball series that like I have ever watched. And part of that had to do with Pascal's um, let's call, let's say disappointing performance in the playoffs. Um, so I would definitely say that the luster or like what the championship has brought to the city has weared off a bit, but I would say, I would say that there definitely has been more like Leafs talk on Raptors Twitter, but since the Raptors have kind of turned it around, there's been way more Raptors talk about what this team is. I love Toronto. Like I love Toronto sports. This is, this isn't anything new with any other sports fans or any other sports. Toronto fans complain a lot. They complain a lot, no matter what. What can I say? What can I say? (laughs) <laughs> what Toronto sports fans complaining? Never heard of it. Raptor Raptors fans complain too. Raptors fans complain about Nick Nurse's rotations. They complain about why isn't Matt Thomas getting any minutes? That was me. That was me for a very long time. Like, why isn't Matt Thomas getting any minutes? The Raptors suck on offense. This man can shoot the lights out. Let's give him a shot. So I would say since they have turned around, they have more of the confidence, I would say. And that's kind of a stupid term because it's a fan base. Like objectively, this is a game and you shouldn't, you should feel, you shouldn't feel any ways about it. Like you watch the game. If they win, they win. If they lose, they lose. It shouldn't really have an impact on your life. And believe me, like I'm a rapper. Oh, it, impact, it, it, it impacted, impacted <laughs> my life watching those bad playoff runs. But now I have, but now I have seen a Raptors championship in my lifetime. I'm like, I've seen, I've seen it. Like, would they, would I like to see them win another? Absolutely. But if they never win again, like, I'm completely okay right now because I'm good. <laughs> I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in my lifetime. But I think the bigger thing that I was going to say is like, for a long time, the Raptors fan base has this um, aura of insecurity of like, oh, like, are they going to stay? Like, is Kawhi going to stay? Like, is DeRozan going to stay? Is Fred going to stay? Like, whenever a guy would come up for free agency, because historically that like Raptors had to trade Vince because Vince made it clear he wasn't going to resign. Raptors had to sign and trade Chris Bosch because Chris Bosch didn't want to stay. 
wrap Toronto is not a free agency destination within the within all the purviews of the NBA that because they're in a different country, you have to transfer over money. Lou Williams, sixth man of the year with the Raptors, said he hated playing in Toronto because he had to carry two bank cards. He had to have two phones. He had to have an American phone and a Canadian phone. Like he loved he loved the team and he loved like the fans, but the actual city itself he did not like because of the like the extra steps that you have to take to live as an American in Canada. So I would say that insecurity is a little bit gone, just seeing that the Raptors have done and having faith in the organization, an actual competent organization, they have more trust in what they see. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the only guy, le- well, other than Lowry, but in management, the only guy left without a contract is Masai. How important, and I think we all know the answer, but how important is Maasai to this organization? It, it doesn't, this, this Raptors turnaround is um, in part with Maasai and Kyle, but also Maasai being very smart in who he has decided to be on this team, like the trades that he has made, the organizational decisions with the 905. Um, you see, we are in this conversation. I haven't even brought up the 905 once. Like that's surprising on my end. Like 905 is part of my personality trait, but Masai Ujiri, this show does not run without Masai Ujiri as well. Um, I remember they scooped him from Denver. I'm pretty sure he was with Toronto for a little bit, but they scooped him from Denver. Uh, and basically since the, um, yeah, back in 2013, they took him for a five-year, $15 million deal. They had to replace Colangelo, who was just like signing and trading Europeans like all the time, like Andrea Bargnani, Hito Turkoglu, like, not not a Jose Calderon, like I love Jose, but like just signing and just getting all these European guys and they just had to find another dude who could do it. And without Masai, Masai has made the tough decisions that have been criticized over and over again, but have worked out for this team. Firing Dwayne Casey after the yeah. best Raptors seasons in history, 59 wins, almost 60 wins, 59 wins, but choked in the playoffs choked in the playoffs trading away DeMar DeRozan franchise icon DeMar DeRozan and I think if DeMar stayed and they continued on this way the conversation for best Raptor would be uh I think it would be a little bit more um I think there would be a little bit more competition between DeMar and Kyle because for a long time I'll admit I was on the DeMar DeRozan train my argument was this guy was so good for so long that you were able to flip in and flip him into the dude that was that could take the Raptors there that's kind of a double-edged sword backhanded compliment unfortunately but he has made the tough decisions and he has bet on guys when no one saw it like fred van vliet signing him to a two-way deal or the last last roster spot letting him play it out with the bench mob drafting pascal at 27 and people said who who is this guy from new mexico state um just Terrence Davis, Matt Thomas, like the list goes on, Bismack Biombo, just finding these guys that have been undervalued, their careers, taking them there, giving them chances to succeed. And with without him, without those guiding principles of betting on guys, but also not being too afraid to pull the plug when it's not working, has made Masai Ujiri indispensable. I'm not sure what the Raptors look like without him. So you talk about about um, Biombo, which who I learned is still in the NBA today. Great name. Speaking of names, 
I did not know Masai used to be in, in Denver, you said, right? Yeah. You guys know why they're called the Nuggets? <laughs> do we all remember that? Inside yes. joke. It's sponsored yes. by McDonald's. I, I do remember the conversation. I don't remember why they're called How the I forgot to ask Will about that is beyond me. Ugh. Is it the Gold Rush? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's the Gold Rush. Yeah. That's great. I love it so much. Um, what did you think it was at first, Adam? I didn't know. That's why I kept asking Will. He wouldn't tell me. He, he just accepted it. That, oh, nuggets. Okay. He's <laughs> like the gold rush. I'm like, thank you. I almost wanted to say, I think, I forget what article he did, but I wanted to say, why don't you just do one explaining the names behind every single NBA team? That would be, that would be a good, that'd be a good article. Well, there you go, Dom. There's, you can take that. <laughs> Historically, right. the Raptors have, uh, the Histori- original Raptors have been around Toronto. Yeah. Historically, dinosaurs lived in Toronto. Like, yeah. that's why we're called the Raptors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say that though. <laughs> um, so you talk about the championship because you know it's so well, it's fresh, but at the same time, God hasn't the last year felt like a lifetime. Um, I, I want to get some of your memories of that run because if you were in Toronto, like in, around the downtown or even on a go trade, you knew the atmosphere. And the deeper they got, I remember I was on my way back from Burlington to Pickering, right? And like there were some bad nights, but this one, it was just, it might have been a home, like a, one of the final games. And it was like the upper end, like the lower levels. It's just everyone in the aisle, you know, like six people trying to get into one four seater there. It was, oh, it was something else. Um, what memories do you have of that run and, and being around the city itself? So it was so it was interesting. I was taking a summer, I was taking a summer school course at the time. So I was downtown pretty consistently. And yeah. I don't I don't live that far from Ryerson campus. I live about 25 minutes away in the East End. So I was also writing about I was also writing about the Raptors one. And just the first game when they lose to Orlando on that miscommunication on defense between Kawhi and Marcus Gasol, which you never see two top-tier defensive players switch the pick and roll, they get missed, they get mismatch and dj augustine steps into an open three i was like here we go same old raptors it doesn't matter if it's demar Derozan or Kawhi leonard it's the same old raptors but no it wasn't it wasn't the same old raptors and yeah you bring it up there was some bad losses when the raptors went down 2-1 to philadelphia i was like i don't know like joel Embiid was doing the airplane he was going he was dunking like i was i was worried because i i want to believe in the philadelphia 76ers so bad but you know, they had to slog it out in that seven-game series. Of course, everyone remembers that buzzer beater. I audibly yelled in my mom's ear when that happened, and my neighbors next door were going crazy, and everyone was going crazy. And the moment we made it to the conference finals, I was like, there's a shot. Like, Milwaukee has been a juggernaut this year. Golden State is Golden State. They've won two of the last three years, three of the last four years. Like, there's a, there's an actual chance for this team to do it because – Although they have that one elite guy that can push it to the next level with Kawhi, they have enough role players and enough dudes to get it out. And even though by the time it was getting to the end when they were playing eight guys, the only dudes coming off the bench were Fred, Norm, and Serge. Even though Fred was coming off the bench, he was basically the fifth starter because he would start the second quarters over Danny Green. I was like, there's a shot. There's a shot. And even though they went down 2 nothing to Milwaukee, I was I, I wasn't worried. Like obviously that that comeback, sweeping the next four games. Like Milwaukee had not lost more than two in a row, I believe that season. They lose four in a row. Just 
it was something it was something different with this team. It was something different with this run. Obviously, Kawhi was a huge part of it, but I believe part of it was like the Raptors fans like stopped believing for a little bit, especially after that, after last year's or the 2018 playoffs, they got swept by the Cavs and there was just like no hope. Like LeBron was just doing whatever he wanted. I'm pretty sure he spun the ball and shot a three in Serge Ibaka's face that playoff run, hit a hit a had a game, a running game winner over OG. Like no matter anything the Raptors were doing that year, it just was not working. And then to see it change and see the personnel changes, Danny, Kawhi, Mark, the growth of Pascal, the growth of Fred, the continued, the changing of Serge Ibaka's game, the changing of Norm's game, and Kyle Lowry being the steadying hand that calms all tides. It was, I can't put it into words being there for that um that parade, I can't put it into words seeing that crowd, how big it was down in uh, Nathan Phillips Square, how busy the city was. It, it was an undescribable experience. And the, the other thing that I would add is it brought, it kind of brought the country together because they had different watch parties all around the country. Like there's watch parties out in BC. I bet there was watch parties out in Quebec. There's watch parties everywhere watching a playoff run. And it was like the country was invested in this team in Toronto. And it was kind of like a win for the country, even though Toronto fans will be like, it's like, it's a Toronto win, like it's a Toronto team. But it definitely, I feel like the whole country took pride in the continued growth of Canadian basketball signifies that. The other thing that I would say was just like regular fans or fans or people who don't even watch games were getting invested as well. Like out of my friend group, I'm the only one who likes sports and it's weird. Like with my friend group that I've been friends with for a long time, I'm the only one who is like into sports like this much. They're not like into it as well. It's like if a game is on, they'll watch it, but like they have better things to do with their time than like worrying about if Kyle Lowry's going to leave in whatever, how many months, but they were getting invested as well. And we watched, like we actually watched games together and I was like, whoa, like we're actually like watching basketball games together, like under any normal circumstance, like any playoff run, like, we would not be doing that. So it was, it was crazy. It was, it, I can't, I can't put it into like words. So, and you might kind of answer the last one for me here with that, but like forgetting the analysis out the window, the country thing, I'm always fascinated with, with people that their teams, you know, um, you talk about pain. The Washington Capitals in the NHL were notorious chokers up until they won the cup. And must have been, that was 2018, right? Lots? Yeah. 2018, yes. yeah. Um, and I have a friend, I knew he was a kid who was a big capster. And I asked him, like, how does it feel? He couldn't describe it. Um, I'm wondering, and yeah, maybe you said you can't put it into words, but as a fan, how does it feel that your team did it? They got over the hump. It's watching this team perform in the playoffs has been nothing short of heartbreaking since 2014. It's been heartbreak after heartbreak. You lose in seven games to the Nets, to the old Brooklyn Nets with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Darren Williams, just and Brooke Lopez, like Raptors killer Brooke Lopez. Well, not Raptors killer anymore, but losing in seven. DeMar gets his shot blocked at the end of the game. No foul call. He's on the floor crying, and Kyle's, like, cuddled up next to him. Like, it's okay, man. We're going to be here next year. Next year, getting swept by the Washington Wizards, a team that has not made, I want to say the conference finals in, like, 20-something years. 
like, or haven't made the conference finals ever. I'm pretty sure since moving to Washington, like they have not been a good franchise and the Raptors got swept by them with Paul Pierce, Raptor killer, moving from Brooklyn to Washington, hitting big shots, calling all oh, the Raptors don't have it this year. Raptors don't have it. They're baby food. And he was right. They were. Masai has to overhaul the whole roster. Amir Johnson, gone. Lou Williams, gone. Grievous Vasquez, gone. Let's get in Corey Joseph. Let's get in Bismack Biombo. Let's, uh, let's get Patrick Patterson some more minutes. Turning this into Mari Carroll. Turning this into more of a defensive-minded team. And that, and that works for a bit. They make the conference finals, even though the first round against um, Indiana was a seven-game series. The first round against Miami was a seven-game series. Literally both go the same way. They lose game one, win the next two, lose game four, win game five, lose game six, win game seven. For two rounds, it's just like, oh, here we go. It's the same thing. And then take it to the – and then to make the conference finals, somewhere the team has not been – was kind of the peak of Raptors, like Raptors fans, Raptors Twitter, before the playoff run. It's like just knowing where this team was to go farther than they had ever gone before, even though they lost in six. Like, even LeBron had to give the Raptors fans props because the ACC at that time, so-called the ACC, was full, even though they lost by, like, 20, I want to say. Just chant, just chanting, let's go Raptors, let's go Raptors, let's go Raptors. Down 20, knowing they're getting eliminated and they're going home, LeBron gives the team props and saying, like, you know, like, these fans in this city, like, you can tell that they really love their team. And for a long time, until they won, so what's that, like three years, that was kind of the peak. And then to get swept in consecutive years to the Cavs, a team that has no regards and no respect for them, just toying around with the Raptors, it was tough. It was definitely tough to watch. And definitely that was kind of that was kind of lowest since being swept by the Wizards, just watching this team swept. Like they try so hard in the regular season and they perform well in the regular season but they can't put it together when the time matters. And obviously we now know what happens getting Kawhi, getting Danny, getting Mark, the reorganization of the roster, the emergence of Pascal, seeing it as a fan, just watching the heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. It's kind of, it's like, it's like with any sport and any team, show me in the playoffs to show me when it matters. And consistently the Raptors were not able to do that. They were not able, pieces were there. You could see sometimes like, Ooh, like the Raptors are kind of, they're teasing you a little. You can see what they could do in the playoffs, but watching them break through that window and knowing how great they are or like realizing their own potential, like with Kawhi, a previous champion, um, Nick Nurse, a guy who has coached in like so many different leagues that I couldn't tell you where he's coached in Europe and England and stuff like that. Like just the collection of this team, what they have brought, the different pieces coming together, like Kawhi, like I said, winning. Danny Green, also a winner. Marcus Gasol, someone who has also like come so close in the playoffs but haven't been able to make the finals, bringing him in as a defensive anchor you know, Serge Ibaka didn't look so good in those last two playoff runs. Like, he looked unplayable. Kyle was hurt, and even though he was trying his best and, like, still pushing this team to go as far as they can, like, you had to question, like, is Kyle the right guy? The emergence of Pascal and Fred and Norm through the G League system, like, 
to put it together, it was the perfect combination of all the things that the Raptors had been working on for so many years. They just needed that one right guy to bring it together. Mm-hmm. Well said. You, you, you've given me hope, and my my team hasn't made it past the first round since I was like five years old. Okay, mm-hmm. I just want to point that out. You've given me hope. I it's <laughs> I I could I could I could personally say that like. Like I said, like being a Raptors fan, like this whole time with a team that has consistently underperformed like its entire franchise before Masai has come, it has given me like a, this is going to sound like so stupid. It's given me a new lease for life and hope to see like this team, like there can actually be a winner in this city in a league that people care about. I know it pisses off the rest of the NBA and American media that like a team from Canada won, even ignoring the fact that the majority of the players on the team are Americans, just ignoring that like out the window, like it doesn't matter. But just seeing the city come together to watch this team like go so far or make it so far, like there's a there's an old adage it's like if you're not competing for championships like what's the point and even though like a lot of those teams i would never consider championship contenders just making it to the playoffs and like making it around and even though they got swept like in the second round or losing in the second round it's still good to see it's so good to see your team have success and be like okay like we may not be the best team in the league but we're better than all these other teams like they're not in our league so that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Okay. This leads into my last question. So we see that, you know, after the two and eight start, there's a big, big surge, you know, looking, not looking at the last Minnesota game. That was kind of rough to watch. But um, I guess in your opinion, from what's going on with this team this year and like looking beyond, what do you feel is next for the Raptors? Like, what do you want? What way do you want them to go? Like, you know, go full young or, you know, try to go for it in like free agency again? So that, that's a good question. Um, so it's going to be kind of hard for them to go all in in free agency, just looking at their cap situation. So for next season, they have two, four, six, eight, ten guys on the roster, not including Norm Powell. Or sorry, that is including Norm Powell, but he has a team or player option which I am very certain that he is going to decline because he is making like under market value and he could probably make a couple more million dollars on his contract. Um, the avenues for growth with this team is going to have to be internal again, unless they make another trade, which I don't think they will. I don't think the only, the only way to like hit that reset button and it's a complicated trade because of how much this guy makes. And it would be a very unpopular thing to do would be to trade Kyle Lowry for younger assets and long-term deals, which is a bad trade. Like it's just a bad trade. You want to see Kyle finish out his career for the sentimental reasons, but also the fact that like, you're probably not going to get as much back as you would like for a player of his caliber. I know no Raptors are not going to make the all-star team this year, but if they had played better, Kyle probably would have been that like presumptive lock as an all-star, just giving him the credit that he has gotten like all over the years, bringing this team. Like he would have been the, even though like I would say this year, the most consistently good Raptor has been Fred, but at peaks, I would say Pascal and Kyle have been better. So the avenues for growth for this team probably aren't coming through free agency. They're not coming through, the draft i mean they will come through the draft but you're not this team has been this team has put it together to the point where like i don't see them falling off in the sense of like they're gonna lose like 
35 of their next 50. Like, I don't think that's going to happen with this team. They're just too good and too professional. And in, um, in a season where consistency has kind of been like the highest marker of success, if you're consistently good, like you're still here, it's going to be very hard moving forward. And that's why Messiah is the key. Messiah staying here is the key. It's going to be hard you're going to, it's still going to be, it's going to be the same guys kind of over and over. It's going to be the DeAndre Bembrys and the Stanley Johnsons and the Aaron Baines free agencies in that realm, finding those guys that have been undervalued and just giving them a chance to play. Like there's always going to be that story every year with the Raptors. It's going to be, who is the next guy? Who's going to be the, who's going to be the resurgent? Who's going to be the dude that no one saw coming? Like this year it's been Stanley. It's been Yuta Watanabe. It's been, um Chris Boucher like it's going to be those guys again like finding those like at the market or under the market deals to just kind of supplement the roster and continuing to believe in the growth of Pascal and Fred and OG while Kyle's steadying hand is still there it's gonna be a lot of that for the next I would say probably for the foreseeable future and that core itself is not bad but those pieces around it are going to have to be it's going to have to be all hits, no misses. It's going to have to, it's going to have to be that. And the margin of error is so slim in the NBA that if like Aaron Baines has been a bit of a miss, but he's been playing better coming off the bench with the two big lineup with Boucher, which I didn't think would work, but now it's somehow working. It's going to have to be. And that's why I'm very, I'm very happy that Nick Nurse is a Raptors coach because Nick Nurse is sometimes he holds things on too long and gives things too much run, like the Patrick McCaw minutes last year. But when, but in other ways, he like flips it too early. Like I've been clamoring for that smaller lineup since last year, seeing the the three guards, OG and Pascal, like starting. And now that's been kind of working, even though they only played at one game. But going small with Pascal and OG at the front court has been better because it just gives the Raptors more space and more size and more athletic ability to kind of run down the court. But that's kind of all a side point saying that it's going to be more of those on the margin moves, depending on if Kyle, one, if Kyle resigns and two, how much you're signing him for. It's going to be more of those on the margin moves because Pascal's making 35 million. Fred's making, there's a bit of a blip in Fred's contract where he's making less in 2021, 2022. So that gives them more flexibility to try to sign someone. OG's making 16 million, like, depending on what Kyle resigns at, it's just going to be hard to kind of get that number one guy unless you hit on someone in the draft in a way that like a bunch of teams overlooked or they suck, which I don't see that happening. Like they may not be like championship contenders, but this is a competent organization that makes competent moves. And even if the ceiling is like a second round playoff exit against Boston or Philadelphia, that's still better than a lot of teams in the NBA. So I would say it's kind of it's kind of hard to know where it's going but in some ways it's easier just given how much money they've committed to the future of these guys it's kind of like you have to keep your picks or if you're going to trade your picks like who are you going to trade them for like who you're going to get in that way that's the only other way that this could happen is you kind of bundle like Fred and Norm and OG this would have to happen this year it probably won't but you would have to bundle kind of two of those guys and kind of like make a move for someone bigger, like a Bradley Beal 
or Bradley Beal is a big free agent that's or not free agent, a big star player that people are trying to get after. I don't think Washington would do that deal, but it would have to be a trade. And you never know who's going to be in the trade market in the NBA, like players flip teams all the time. So that's the only Toronto could be ripe for another like Kawhi-esque trade. It's like, let's kind of get this guy and see what happens. But there's only so many times that you can do that. But also the Kawhi trade was a bit of an anomaly. You, you, we, we didn't know what we were getting with Kawhi. And that's kind of the other reason why the Raptors run was so memorable is because people thought Kawhi wasn't going to play. Like we didn't know what we were getting with him with his uh, quad. That's going on another, another side tangent. But the bigger point that I was getting at is the team's future is committed to these three guys, the Pascal, Fred, and OG, that the floor is there to a competent organization to raise it to the ceiling as all these other guys developing and finding those on the margin players, hitting on your draft picks, Kyle still being good. If he decides to stay, if he leaves, I can see them being competent and still being like a playoff contender, maybe giving some teams some trouble as Toronto has done in the past, but to move into that next tier, they need another guy or they need like Fred to step up or something like that, which I don't see. So, I mean, the only, the only thing I can say is we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Raptors. Correct answer is they get Kyrie when he gets sick of uh, sick of. Um, God, would you really want him on the Raptors? <laughs> well, that's a whole completely different thing. Listen, star power, star power. L- last, um, last question. I have one more question. And you brought this up earlier, and it popped into my head. You brought up Raptors 905. And some of the greatest sports organizations in the world have – have systems not just in their in their main organization but with their junior teams or with their whatever their minor league teams and more recently it's been talked about with the Leafs when it comes from the NHL to the AHL to the ECHL how important is the Raptors 9 or the 905 to the organization it's if they didn't have the 905 it would be very hard for them to be in the place that they're at. So I'll give a little bit of context. I, um, I went to the Raptors 905 championship run back in, what was it, 2017, I want to say? Uh, yeah, 2017. I was at the Raptors 905 um, championship run. So my brother, so the story is my brother at that time lived in the Netherlands, but twice a year he would come over and like stay with us. So that time he was there during the Raptors 905 run and we convinced my mom to buy tickets back to back nights to go watch the 905 play. And it was, it was crazy because Damar showed up. I want to say Damari Carroll showed up random, random name drop. Maybe you guys will know it. Maybe you won't. Maybe Daniel, you'll know it. Nerland's Noel showed up out of nowhere. Like he was no, like he wasn't connected with the Raptors. I think at that point he was on the Mavericks, I want to say. And the Mavericks weren't even in Toronto, but he flew up for the 905 game, which was super weird. Like I can't, I couldn't explain that, but the 905, I'm looking, I'm looking at their, I'm looking at their record right now. So the second year that they existed, they won. Uh, they won the the D League championship, and I was there that game. It was Fred and Pascal and Bruno Caboclo, one of the only picks for the Raptors during this run that just has not hit in the way that they wanted it to. And I'm not I'm not a guy who I'm not a developmental guy. I'm not a guy who looks at a player and is like, 
this is also because I just don't have a lot of experience in this stuff. I'm not a guy who looks at a player and is like, that guy is going to be really good. That's just not who I am. I just kind of take it as it is. And if they grow, they grow. If they don't, they don't. But with Fred, with Fred, I saw. Fred, I saw like how he saw the court and how he was setting up other guys that like this dude is going to be a rotational player. I didn't think he was going to be at this level as a competent, not competent, a good starting guard who hits big shots despite his size. Like you can really see the Kyle Lowry in him, but it's still smooth in the way that he can even though he doesn't finish all the way to the basket, he's still smooth in that sense of getting space and stuff like that. So I would say that that 905 run and having the 905 there, because it's not just a training ground for players, it's a training ground for coaches and stuff like that. Like Jerry Stackhouse is a longtime NBA vet and he got his first crack at coaching uh, with the 905. He was able to turn that into an NCAA job, if I remember it correctly. He's the head coach at Vanderbilt. So it's a training ground for these guys that have that one. They're like the Masai Ujiri's that kind of get in at the ground level and work their way up. Masai is very good at giving back in the sense that like he gives, he gives more people chances to succeed and succeed and try again. And you see it a couple times a year. Like if you really pay attention to like NBA news, a couple 905 guys every year, if it's not with the Raptors, it's with another team and they get another chance somewhere else. Like, the latest 905 story has been Chris Boucher. Like Boucher was with the 905. He won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, I believe, in the same season. I may be wrong about that, but I for sure know he won Defensive Player of the Year when the Raptors traded all their guys away and they had like eight dudes available when they went for Marc Gasol. They converted Chris Boucher into a to a rest of the year deal, was able to play like some minutes and then got a little bit more minutes last season. And now he's been the Raptors consistently good big man other than Pascal. Like if the Raptors were a little bit better, he should be the sixth man of the year. That's probably going to Jordan Clarkson. But having the 905 there and sending guys down and the prevalence of the G League in today's game, I want to say there's only two dudes on the Raptors roster that don't have G League experience. Um, just having those guys and having those guys willingly go down to the G League, like Stanley went down to the G League last year, I believe, because his game was a little bit upset or not right before COVID hit. Having those guys who are willing to go down to the G League and willing to kind of, it shouldn't be a humbling factor, but it's a bit of a humbling factor because these dudes are trying to fight to make the roster and you kind of already have that guaranteed spot. But having that facility there to train guys and get them more run before under good coaching and good organizational leadership that stems from the Raptors to bring them to the team. And they know exactly what to do. They exactly know they know how to play already is just an advantage that few teams in the NBA have really like cracked at. Like the only teams that really use the G league to their advantage are Toronto and Miami and San Antonio a little bit, but Toronto, I would say, has been the model organization for, like, G League development since, since they won, since they won back in 2017. There's always some dude coming out of the G League from the Raptors who was, like, killing it. it. You know what, Donald? I feel like I actually know a bit about basketball now. Um, yeah, we definitely want to have you back when we go closer to the end of the NBA season, see how the Raptors are doing for kind enough to come back on, because you've been great today. Um, 
You've been very generous with your time. We are very, very bad at sticking to time limits here, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> I just, I just will mention questions. I just peep the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, last twenty to thirty minutes. I think we're about. Um, seriously though, Donald, thank you very much for coming on. Um, we want to give you some time now to plug your stuff because you are with the eye opener. Will is graduating next year, so there's a bit of an opener for the sports editor, and I've heard through the great lot that maybe you're going to be uh, maybe running. Uh, I I won't I won't reveal my plans yet, but eye open eye opener is great. I love writing for the eye opener. Have some work coming out for them in the near future, so uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, eye opener uh, album reviews for CJRU. Now have some folio stuff going on. Uh, I'm considering making my Twitter bio jack of all trades for multiple news organizations. <laughs> like at this point, I'm writing more about sports than I have ever. Also a reporter for The Bridge, local Toronto paper, writing about transit issues and stuff like that. Like uh, it's crazy. The amount that I still know about basketball, considering how much I've actually paid attention this season is it's absolutely nuts. But yeah. Got, a, got, got my hands in a lot of hats these days. Mm-hmm. Well, seriously, thank you for coming on. Um, hopefully we can have you back in the near future. I would absolutely love to be back. This is a, this is a pleasure. Thank you guys for having oh, me. Awesome. Uh, we will be back in a second when we talk about the Leafs and the Habs. Sidney Crosby hit 1,000 games. Connor McDavid, 500 points in as many games as Crosby. The Oilers are good again suddenly. All that in a second. We will be back. Lads, great time with Donald. We're definitely going to have him back on. Um, I just love all the people in our program. They're all great. Right. um, Now to get to the hockey, and we'll talk about – it doesn't feel like there's enough made about this last night because Matthews and McDavid were just putting on shows last night. A thousand games is much more appreciated by players than it is to the fans, though Sidney Crosby hitting a thousand games just hits a bit harder, Alex. It does. It, it does. Cause I think, well, first off, he's a generational talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously because it's generational, it doesn't happen that often, but I think also, you know, you look back, especially earlier on in his career with all the concu- concussions and stuff like that, like that does take a toll on a player. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, even that, the fact that he hit a thousand, I think is still a huge accomplishment. Damn. Yeah, I think it's a huge thing. Um, I like the points Alex brought up in terms of generational talent and the concussion issues because, you know, if it wasn't for the concussions, he would have hit this long time ago, these 1,000 games. Uh, But at the same time, and I don't know if you guys get this feeling, but for me, when you mentioned generational talent, I was already a fan before he was drafted. But the thing is, it's weird. It's like people keep mentioning he's 33 and – when I, when you, when it comes to that like type of figure, it's weird to think about the NHL without Sidney Crosby. Yeah, if that makes any sense to you, like it just I know that players come and go, but it's just weird. It's like I'm not saying that he's the exact same player, but you know maybe this is what I'm feeling. Fans kind of had in like 1999. Like wait a minute, Wayne Gretzky's not going to be there. That's a very good point. Um, this is a David Amber tweet, by the way. Uh, tonight Crosby plays a Stanley uh, NHL game. I think he's a top five player of all time. 
ridiculous resume, three Stanley Cups, two Olympics. I'm assuming he means gold there. Uh, a world championship, a world cup, world juniors, two heart trophies, two consmite, two rocket richards, two art rosses. How does he only have two hearts, by the way, guys? He's only 33. And I'm going to ask you guys, is Sidney Crosby a top five player all time? Daniel? Yes. I think yes? So. Okay. Where does he rank in the five? Um, I don't know. It's a weird thing because – and I'm not saying this is a bad thing necessarily, but it, it's kind of hard when we think about these lists and then people – a lot older than us will say like, Hey, how did you not have that guy on that list? Like, Oh, I don't know. He retired 25 years before I was born or, you know, footage of the seventies or sixties. It's really hard to find. Wayne Gretzky retired. So his retirement ceremony was the month after I was born. Alex Mm -hmm. Crosby. Is he a top five player? Yes. I think, (laughs) I think, for me, I'd put him in either four or five. I'd re- I really have to think about it. I'm probably leaning toward four, if, if I'm being honest. Like For me, this is my opinion. It's Gretzky, number one, Lemieux at two or three, and then Crosby at four. So I don't have him top five. I'll okay. tell you why. It's obviously yeah. Wayne and Mario number one, and Wayne mm-hmm. is first. Yeah. Oh, I know what's coming. I, I have Gordy Howe at third. Okay. Because I don't think any of us realize – and again, it is before we we actually got to play. But don't forget, this is the great before Wayne. I think we right. say Patrick Waugh because, like, I know for like the one hundred greatest players, they also included goalies here. And there. Want to wait a second. Um, number four, I have Nicholas Lidstrom. Bobby Orr should be there because he revolutionized the position. It's just Nick Lidstrom. We will never see a defenseman at that level win a Norse Trophy at forty ever again. I think he was just on a completely different level. And we don't respect goalies. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I spoiled it. Revolutionized the goalie position. Every goalie now plays the way they do because of Patrick. And you know what? What? He said, screw you to the Olympics. All right. Like, wait, like he played Bob- once. It's just, uh, I'm just saying, you know, this is from speculation, not for me, because I couldn't report at that time. But um, he didn't have to play every game. What in 1998. What are you trying to say to me? I'm saying <laughs> you know, there's a lot of balance on that team. Like you had Broder and Curtis Joseph as your backups. Yeah, the backups. Stop it. Anyway, but, yeah. um, honorable mentions though. I think we need to talk about Ovechkin because of his goal scoring. Like a bit of disrespect to him. Sid, obviously, and I'm not saying this just because I am a Canadians fan, but we talk about goal scoring. Maurice Richard was a 50 goal guy in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Like he is like the the hero of French hockey. Like I think people need to remember like just how important he was to this to the, the game of like the sport itself. Um, and of course Bobby Orr because it's, it's Bobby Orr. I mean, what what was it? Um, listen, say what you want about Don Cherry and Bobby Orr's people like outside the game, but um, there's a really really good thing from Cherry at the beginning of Bobby Orr's book that if there is a league above the NHL, that's where Bobby Orr would have played. And I think all of these guys we just mentioned would also be in that league. Um, Before we move on, I have my list now. Okay, I found it. I I I I, uh, I was able to to develop it as we spoke, as you guys convinced me. 
Okay, but and then when you're done that, give me your favorite Crosby moment. Then Alex, you can do the same. Mm-hmm. Just... Oh yeah, I'll be quick. So Gretzky, Lemieux, Crosby. Okay. Or. Okay. And then, tied for fifth is Martin Brodeur and Patrick Waugh. You don't put you don't put Gordy Howe in the top five players of all time. I don't know, but, but that's the thing. Okay, so like when is you think about it, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's what I think. I think about it's just. It just gets a bit more murky because he was Wayne Gretzky. You could say like he's the best in terms of. Are you gonna leave? Okay. Um, I think the best in terms of like the best that ever was. That's like Bret Hart. Sorry, but um, but I think like when I come to my own personal list, it's the kind of thing I've talked about before. Where it's like I'll see the clips of Gordy Howe, and I think he's an amazing player. Like I think from the standard of what people say is the talent of the NHL is of course Gordy Howe's in the top three, but of my own personal list where I actually got to watch it because Bobby Orr is a bit of a stretch because I actually did get to watch like a few games with him because those are easier to find. But I think with Gordy Howe, it's just, it's just too far from how I am as a fan to where he is now that I don't put him on my personal list, but he deserves to be on the standard NHL list. You make a good point for there for that, that last point you made. Because I think we we have it's the debate that's being that's literally had every year. Uh, Jordan versus LeBron, uh, Brady versus whoever. To be honest, I'm not I don't know football that well, so Brady versus whoever. Uh, and they they're having the debate in tennis, right? Oh, it's so difficult. The eras, especially in hockey, man. Like if there's if there's a sport that the eras are like completely different, it is hockey. So it's very so difficult making these lists. I actually had a childhood memory I just came up with. Then we'll go to the Crosby memory. Sorry, I'm uh, delaying this. But I remember when I was like a kid, and I don't know why. You know, sometimes when like they like they don't they're like, oh yeah, that guy's a kid. He doesn't really kind of know too much about hockey. I think it was a teacher in my elementary school where I said Martin, like I said Martin Broder, like and you know this before I knew Adam. So I said Martin Broder is the best goalie ever. And then the guy's like, oh, yeah, because you're so young, you haven't watched Hashik in his prime. But like, yeah, of course, when I like started watching hockey, Dominic Hashik was like like 36, like 35. I mean, Alex, if, if you want why Daniel's telling us his favorite Sidney Crosby moment, if you want to make your top five while we're doing this, go ahead. Let's let's have this debate. Because oh, I, I okay. think blasphemy to not have Mr. Hockey in the top five. But Daniel, your favorite moment from Sidney Crosby's career? Um for me and i think it's just you know i'll have actually a split of three to be honest one and, and then like two honorable mentions <laughs> <laughs> um i think number one what a surprise is, <laughs> i guess number one is when he made the world junior team as a 16 year old mm-hmm. because already there was that much hype with him and it's kind of weird seeing him wear number nine to be honest that was always kind of odd to me but uh yeah like just just like as a kid witnessing the fact that when people say like you know you're witnessing a generational talent going up in the ranks and i think when you hear that that's what started of me saying like yeah i actually was a you know a legitimate fan his entire career um the second one is his nhl debut because i remember i have the card of it i have to find it but it's when he's just sitting on the bench and then Lemieux is just beside him. And it just, it was a crazy thing to me where it's just, you think about 
the amount of stuff the Penguins have gone through financially in terms of the talent that's been lost on that team, and then they get Sidney Crosby. I know they got Malkin and they got Flurry, but they, I mean, Flurry hmm? was it really like he was there, but he kept getting pushed back and forth between like the between Kate Brennan, uh, Wilkesbury, Scranton, and and Pittsburgh, and then. Malkin, you know, you don't see him. He's in the KHL for quite a bit before he comes to the NHL. But, yeah, like, just seeing that picture where Lemieux, I actually got to see the tail end of him. You know, he's on the cover of NHL 2002, the game I played the most out of all the NHL games. It just, it was a crazy feeling for me. Um, Third, and it's not really one that maybe is on, like, a top 10 list, like, anywhere, but it's when he comes back from, I think, his first major concussion, and he plays the third line. Um, this is against the Islanders, and he still, despite the limited minutes, dominates. He has two goals. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, go ahead. I only have one. Good, thank you. That's what I asked for. Um, for me, it has to be the golden goal, and I know he's not in a Penguins jersey, but I think it was so impactful, especially for me. Like, I mean, I was I was ten at the time. I was just kind of getting into hockey um, and just to see that, I don't know how to, I don't know what word or words to use to describe it. Like it was just so over the top, like it was so like impactful and it it shaped a lot of things. The greatest hockey, the greatest Canadian sports moment of our lifetime, lifetime is the golden goal. Um, and I was going to say the golden goal too, because it is, it, I don't think you can beat it. Um, though to give another one, uh, I'm actually going to just one. I'll give two then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the dueling concrete game versus Ovechkin is just so great for me because it's just, uh, it epitomizes, you cannot talk about his career without talking about his rivalry with Ovechkin. It's, it's how lucky we are to see two people of that level. And we're seeing that with the next generation with McDavid and Matthews. McKinnon is there as well, by the way, I must say. Um, and also his first game against a Canadian team, his boyhood team, welcome to the Crosby show Canada when he absolutely humiliated Jose Teodoro. <laughs> um, has to be mentioned. All right. I remember that game. I was watching it. Uh, Jocelyn Tebow was a net for the Penguins. Just not right. Um, congratulations to Sid the Kid. Um, it's been a pleasure to watch you, and it will continue to be. Um, a, a, you know, a younger player, some younger news. Nico Heischer, out of nowhere, I might add, is the newest captain of the New Jersey Devils. And I'm guessing Daniel has put this here. The first non-defenseman captain since Zach Parise in 2012. Andy Green, how are you? <laughs> Um, I don't know. It's like, I think it's a step in the direction where the Devils have been kind of wishy-washy with this quote-unquote new talent that they're bringing forward. You've mentioned Andy Green. Um, the captain before him was Bryce Salvador. And, you know, these are two guys that they're not necessarily, you know, like what Tim uh, McCaffrey would say sexy players <laughs> in a way that, you know, they're not the all-star caliber guys. Not the guys are going to be on the front of a cereal box, but those were like Lou Lamorello type of guys that mm-hmm. they were always called on to be captain, which I was surprised. And I know I'm talking about Parise more than his year. 
his year right now, but it's like kind of thing where that was a surprise because like Parise wasn't really considered like a Lou type of guy at the time. He is now because he almost went to the Islanders despite the contract. And I think this is a step in direction now where it's like you get away from what was built during the Lou Lamorello era to what the Devils want to establish now with this new identity that, yeah, definitely they're playing a lot different. They have the pieces that they could probably do something. And, you know, they've been, they've been decent this year. They haven't been what we thought they were going to be like looking at what they finished last year. So I think they're going to be okay. Um, I think that maybe it may, maybe a morale booster, but you know, it's great to see. I think looking back on that draft, people are going to say he shouldn't have been first overall, but he, he, he still has a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. Alex. Yeah. I, I mean, he's what, 22, right? Cause he, cause it's, he's in his first year of his second contract. So it should be somewhere around there. He's how old? 22. Oh, okay. So he's, I mean, he's young. We've seen young captains. Uh, we've seen young captains in the, in the past before, I think there's more. I think he is the future of that team. Like him and Jack Hughes are are that team. And he was an assistant before, which should say something about his leadership in the room. And I know, you know, they have other guys like, uh, let's say, uh, Kyle Palmieri. But his future with this team, we don't know what his future is, right? He's a UFA at the end of the year. Um that was the obvious one for me. I, I think if we had this discussion last year, I, I would have said Kyle Palmieri would be your captain if he's here long term. I think the Oilers, by the way, should target him in the offseason. The, there's a lot of players the Oilers if they have should money. Yeah, <laughs> no one really talks about. He's better than right. Paul. Yeah, so I, I think it'll be an interesting move to move moving forward, though. We'll mm-hmm. see how it turns out. Rachel Dory liked the move. She was a big part of the, or she was a part of the Devils organization not that long ago. So if somebody from who knows those players well says that it's a good move, I believe it's a good move. I'm surprised Alex didn't say Mackenzie Blackwood should be captain. No. No respect for goalies. I thought you're. I thought they're not allowed to be goalies. I thought we uh, captains. I thought we had no. this discussion. Yeah, ever since that. Roberto Luongo broke the system. Yeah, because the NHL hate fun. No respect. No respect. Uh, speaking of no respect, um, Adam Henrique has been placed on waivers. Um, yes. I believe he cleared. Yeah, uh, he cleared yeah. just as uh, Donald joined. No one's yeah. picking that up. It's $5.8 million. Mammoth laughs at the contract. Guy's a really good two-way player, but, I mean, Daniel – the Ducks veterans need to be accountable because they are not getting any scoring and they are falling out of that playoff race by the game. Yeah, um, I already kind of knew it that they kind of had to move some money and it's kind of really like Adam Henrique's one of those just contracts that's, that's going to drag on. That I'm not saying he's a friend to Nielsen who also was placed on waivers today, yep. but it's one of those things that I'm a lot of fans especially, and you can just look at the Eric Stevens articles on the athletic the amount of comments that are there like it's you know you, you could be talking about something benign like ryan Getzlaff's favorite sandwich and it's like man you know and then the comments would be like yeah you know bob murray these are the moves he did and like we we're losing confidence in him and it's it's just that that feeling where what are you trying to build with this team now because you have a lot of young talent coming up but at the same time anyone not re- named ryan Getzlaff who's over the age of 22 
you shouldn't be getting the money you're getting if you're not like you know Josh Manson, for example. Um, I think it's still gonna hurt them that Cam Fowler, Jakob Silverberg, someone like Adam Henrique who are not performing are still having these long term deals that I don't I don't think that you could move the way you do traditionally, especially with the flat cap. And I think this was maybe a wake up call to Adam Henrique that he's just not producing. He's a great locker room guy. Everyone's spoken about that in New Jersey, in Anaheim, but you just you just have to kind of get to a point now where it's like, what do you really have with this team? And I know I made the joke that I said they're going to make the playoffs. It's looking pretty... Oh, now uh, it's a joke. Now yeah, it's, it's just it's a, a joke. Yeah, it was a, it was a joke. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not a projection, but um, for sure, that's something to think about that when you have these big contracts going and these guys are not performing, it's just what's your next step? And it's a long season, but I just don't know anymore because it's just a weird thing with the contracts with the guys in their prime and like the stability you're going to have when you eventually those other top tier young guys come in. Not a great sign, Alex, when the Anaheim Ducks are last for goals for that's 34 they've got. No, that this is that it was so weird. It was, uh, I, I don't know about you guys. I did not see Adam Henry going on waivers at all coming. Not, no. um, I know the team hasn't been performing well, I mean, the team is practically John Gibson. And that's uh, pretty much it, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, why can someone explain to me why they just haven't just tried Trevor Zegras yet? Like, I know maybe he's not going to be, he's not going to be, you're not going to throw him into your top six. That might not be the smartest move, but let's see what he can get done. Like, he's he looked pretty dominant at the world juniors. I know he's playing in, um, playing in the eight in in San Diego. Now I don't know how many nine points in eight games, four goals. I I think he, you might want to just try him. Good player. Um, easily the most dominant player at that world juniors. Uh, and his confidence. Love it. Never forget. You know who guess who's playing in the forward group? David Backus. I forgot about him. (laughs) Um, waivers, you love to see them. Unless you're Eric Comrie and you keep getting claimed, he's going back to Winnipeg for like the fourth time. I feel so bad for this guy, Alex. This is uh, why do they keep doing this to him? <laughs> I hope he's he hasn't gotten rid of his place in Winnipeg. Yes, I, 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 I agree. Don't stay too long, we don't know. Yeah, honestly, like yeah. Winnipeg. Okay, this is odd. I just pulled up their cap friendly page. They have four goalies in their main roster. They have Hellebuck, uh, Laurent Bersois, and Anton Forsberg. And then they have Eric Comrie in their taxi squad. Why? They're like the, the um, NHL GM mode teams that for some reason you just you just can't you can't stop getting goalies like i i ever get that problem i get that problem no i've never once faced that problem i've seen that seen that in my or like i draft like five goalies (laughs) the draft oh no No. like if you see the elite medium or medium starter then like and it's like the fourth or fourth fourth to seventh round like you take them i take them fair enough um i don't know what to say about that it's (laughs) It's been a real mess for Eric Comrie's career. Almost as much of a mess as the outdoor game was yesterday. They finished the first period 
And this, the ice was not great. Like the ice was, was not great. Um, there was like this image and there was just a chunk of it missing. And Landeskog, was, like Gabriel Landeskog, was just like, guys, like, what are we doing here? Like, what's going on? Apparently the players wanted to keep playing. The NHL were like, yeah, no. Um, the game got, got pushed back after the first period, kept that in play until 12 p.m. Eastern last night. No, 12, is it p.m. A.M. A.M. It's so dumb. Like, can we just – I need to go on a tangent here, okay? Midnight. <laughs> night is p.m. Morning, a.m. It's dumb. It's midnight. It's stupid. Let's fix it. It doesn't Wait, make what? any sense to me. I hate it so much. So much. Why is it that midday is p.m.? You don't go 12 p.m. then 1 to p.m. No, it should it should roll over. It's so dumb. I hate Wait. it so much. I didn't think we'd get into this. It's dumb. It should also be abs and pims, not a.m. and p.m. I'm or fun. Uh, listen, um, let's not give the NHL any crap here because they tried something new. It looked amazing, even at yeah. night. It looked so pretty, did Lake Tahoe. You, you, you make a good point. We shouldn't give the NHL crap, but I saw so much of it on Twitter yesterday. And it's from the exact same type of people who had said, oh, the NHL doesn't try anything new. And listen, I'm on, bo- I'm on board with the NHL trying new things here. But like you can't say you want to try something new and then when it fails, oh, they shouldn't do this. It doesn't work. That's not how these things work. Like you hit and you miss. It's not like this was a miss, unfortunately. I mean, at least they got to finish the game. Mm-hmm. Are you saying it's times like these to learn to love again? Yes. Yes. We'll see how it goes tonight, Daniel, when Boston play, and then see how uh, how the ice fair is done. It should be a little better later in the day. Hopefully the sun won't just say, yeah, no, you're not playing hockey today. I remember Darren Dreger, he commented on it, and the comments were hilarious. We're like, okay, Darren, we get, we understand you make a backyard rink every year. What did he oh, say? Oh, really? He mentioned how, um, oh, yeah, I never put paint or uh, lines on it because the sun will just absorb uh, like uh, the heat, the heat from the sun will just be absorbed by the paint. So I never do that for my backyard. Oh, that's one. a good point. And then people's comments are like, "Okay, there." It's an NHL game, idiot. We kind of need those. God, what what's he doing? We love Darren though. He's not an idiot. To Paul Marner for a bit. Sorry, Darren. I like you. It's just stop. So just yeah, we know you make a lot of money because you're an insider. <laughs> stop it. Jeff Merrick doesn't just brag about it. Even though for some reason they keep having segments of his kids and Ron McLean in the backyard. But. Are we gonna do brand? No, we're not doing brand wars now. We we uh we love every Speaking face of, brand, of the sports. As I am the current reigning defending champion of the two on one podcast quiz, I showed these guys before we recorded. Check out the YouTube portion if you want to see this, but I have made a championship belt that is cut out of a Pepsi and drumsticks ice cream box. So I am the champion. Um it's being kept together by a lint roller strip on each end. Um, hopefully, when's the next quiz going to begin? I don't know. Um, maybe like I don't know. You guys liked it a lot, so you know it gave me a lot of uh, encouragement to maybe make one a lot sooner than I thought. I thought I was going to do like maybe stay away from Jacob Yerjebek. By the way, okay. <laughs> I knew that one was gonna. I I, when I saw that fact, and then. I'm like, I need to put it in, but yeah, we should, we should do another one. Like maybe, maybe it should be a March quiz. I don't know. And like, Oh, okay. I thought uh, for some reason I thought it was March and I'm like, so I get to keep this for a year. 
Sounds good. Um, it's crazy. February's almost done. I didn't even know. Yeah, I know, right? Oh. 2021's going by like a blitz. And you know, this- can I tell you a crazy thing about time? The oh, trade deadline sure. was like three days from now was a year ago. Jeez. Wow. Because <laughs> I'm writing an article right now of Zach Parise near, being nearly traded. And I'm like, whoa, that was a year, like a year ago. February 24th, 2020. Longer than that. Um, uh, the years go by like a blitz. What's faster, the year? Sorry, slowly. The opposite of a blitz. What's quicker, the month of February or Conor McDavid storming down the ice? Because my God, I tweeted after the first Austin Matthews goal. I think it was when it was like it was in before Carey even knew it. It was so good. Poor Carey practice. There's so much better. Um, I tweeted, just give the give Matthews the MVP. No. I watched the Oilers game and be like, no, 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 no. I can't wait that for the next decade we're gonna have this goddamn Matthew versus McDavid debate, just like Crosby and and, and Ovechkin. I don't know the last time I watched such a performance by a player that I did with Connor McDavid last night. The Flames are bad. We're gonna talk about them next episode, I think. So let's talk about the Oilers now. Mike Smith is 4-0 since coming back. The savior. A 940 save percentage. Now, the other day, McDavid, by the way, also hit 500 points already in the same amount of games as Sidney Crosby, 369. Nice. Less than 400 games. When is he going to be in our top five? When is he going to be in our top list? We'll see. Um, we'll see. You already have him above how, I bet. Ridiculous. Oh, no. Um, and do you know what? They've been getting the depth scoring, and surprise, surprise, he was unlucky to start this season, but Jesse Puglia Harvey has become a major asset to that team. Incredible. Thoughts on the Oilers, lads, and they are playing very, very well all of a sudden. And I, I can kind of see now this is maybe the Oilers team that we all expected. Then again, without McDavid last night, yes, they have like one goal. But at the same time, we can't really give them crap for that because they have him and we don't. So I just want to point this out. You talk, yeah. You're talking about Mike Smith. Yeah. I, I don't know if you guys remember. Last year, he started the season 5 4 and 1, 9 2 6 save percentage. Do you yeah. remember? It was good. I remember that. Not bad. Um, just putting this up here. He finished the season 19 12 and 6, 9 2. Yeah, but right now, we, yeah, but we can do yeah, it. It doesn't last. We're living in the. Uh, now. The, ar- the argument I'm making is it won't last. And we said the same thing last year. But for now, Okay, Listen, for now it's great. You're right. You're right. And I think right now we should we should give them the time to say, okay. you know, they've been playing really well. They've been playing damn well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the way they've been kind of figuring things out because I was looking back on stats from last year, like they weren't super bad. They were pretty okay, pretty decent finishing it up. I think it's just once they get to the play in around and all of that with Chicago, that's when things really kind of said, all right. Here's the Oilers again. So, yeah, they yeah. So I think this season, they, they it was kind of iffy at the beginning of it, but then you know they're starting to pick up some heat. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that 
I, I, I've mentioned it in the summer too, in our summer episodes, that these are guys that you have to, you have to ask them to step up because this is what's gonna, this is what you're gonna do with the reality of the cap era. Like, you know, you need an Ethan Bear to develop. You need a Yessi Puyarvi to, two things. Actually, want to play for the Oilers, yes, and actually live up to that potential. So, and so far, you know, that's been good. You know who else has been pretty good? 16 points in 20 games. Tyson Berry. <laughs> Don't ask what his plus minus is. Plus minus is minus one, whatever. But you know, when McDade, when um when Dry I think last episode, when he's like, Well, we beat Toronto and Montreal, what does that make us if they're number one and two? I kind of laughed it off. But I mean, and, and like let's let's be honest here. We need to remember that the Jets have three games in hand and Montreal have four. <laughs> Um, we'll see how it goes, though. They have a winning record. They're 8-2-0 in their last 10 games. They've won three straight. And do you know what? Right now they're in that position, and these wins versus the Flames are huge because we've talked about every night is a four-point night. The Canucks are still only at 17 points. The Sens are not looking great. We'll see if they win tonight versus Montreal because it could happen. But you know what? These games are so big for the Oilers because do you know what? They're creating separation from the teams they need to. Right. He needs to learn to just shoot the puck instead of going through his legs every time he has a chance. But like credit to the Oilers, I'm gonna give it to him. You know what? They deserve it. You know what? I'm McDavid is disgustingly good. Like I just want to like fangirl over him for a second. He is. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, no disrespect to McKinnon. He's still a top three player. Mm-hmm. But holy backtracking here. Leave. I'm not backtrack. I'm admitting I was wrong. Yeah. Like he is. Oh, he's so good. good. I'm so I feel blessed to be able to watch him. And I so wish we were in arenas right now because may, my I would seriously be going to every game he was in Montreal, just trying to like sit back and enjoy the fact that he is in this league. He is incredible. The no look goal. Oh, he's just ridiculous. Oh, it's just he was having fun. Normally, it takes McDavid a while to really enjoy his goal. He's like, you know, I score. Yeah, I'm kind of happy, but he was he was enjoying himself last night. And do you know what? That's what you want from Connor. I hate seeing the best player in the world moping because he just nothing happened with him. Um, it's great. It's must-watch TV, and we have some TV news regarding the NHL. I reported on headlines last night on Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada. Um, ESPN are rumored to be part of the new U.S. TV deal. Um, of course, they like not fully, but they will be a part of it. I've joked that ESPN hate hockey, but this is great news. And apparently, the deal would actually go past the current CBA. Fun fact. That... I, we've had this discussion before about uh, the the network deal because uh, I think they said NBC. There were rumors that this, their sports channels were going to be uh, shut down. So to hear that ESPN is going to have at least part of the deal doesn't necessarily come as a surprise, but I think it's really good news for the for the league because what ESPN does really well is advertise their products, mm-hmm. and I think. Considering the, I mean, listen, the NHL, I wouldn't consider them that great at advertising their product. I think the, I think their, the partnership with ES, ESPN could be huge. Mm-hmm. 
Talk about bad advertising. No one knew there was the outdoor game in Regina last year. You can't even remember because they weren't advertising it. Uh, Daniel, ESPN, listen, they haven't been in great shape over the past couple of years. A lot of firings, but there is still – the U.S. TV deal has been so important for the NHL, and this is nothing but good news continuing that day. Yeah, uh, two things I have on this, and it's funny because this, this, this uh, refers back to Donald because we're both in the same business class right now where we actually recently had an assignment on the revenue of uh, of Disney and uh, how, how ESPN does with advertising. They do pretty well. So I'm pretty happy that they have a bit of a stake in this again. Um, the NHL is going to get a bit more coverage, which I really like, especially in those American markets. You know, covering the wild, I think, has been an anomaly of what I've seen in other teams because just the state of Minnesota is crazy, like, what I'm finding, like talking to other journalists too, who actually live in Minnesota, is that you know they'll cover people in the NCAA and like who are coming up for the team, but you know that's not the case if you think about Arizona, if you think of Southern California. Mm-hmm. So that's an important thing. Second thing, and it's more of a child nostalgic thing. Um, maybe we'll have ESPN hockey games again, and you know there'll be more competition between the video games that maybe the EA Sports will go. You know, wait a minute. We need to put more into our studio. I can only hope, Daniel. I can only hope. That's not going to happen. Can't wait for them to put the CHL back in next year as a new feature. Okay, there's. I thought I was doing good with the transitions, but I can't. I can't do it for Nashville here. Um, more <laughs> news about Nashville and their players that are you know, possibly being dealt. There are three untouchables here: Roman Yossi makes sense. Brian Ellis, Pekarine, Legacy. I thought that exact same thing, and do you know what? I'm perfectly okay with it. Yeah, perfectly okay with it. You They're good in goaltending for the future. Not goal- this year, but for the next few years, they'd be okay. Let's, if you let him walk, that's like that's like Berger playing seven games in St. Louis. Um, that's your that's your legacy guy. That's big in the community. Um, I'm 100% okay with Pekarina staying. But um, thoughts on the fact that we talked about that if there are players that were going to be difficult to move or. You know, could you remove them? Well, we know at least that there are two of them that are going to stay that are you know, the big tickets, and that's Allison Yossi. Do you think Ellis play? Because we, I'm not Ellis, sorry. Pekka Rene plays past this season. He's 38. He gets like a backup role or something. I don't know. Like, he's kind of transitioned to that already. Right. He has. Um, yes. He signed that two year. He signed the two year deal. Like Craig Anderson's still around. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, I guess. Yeah, kind of. Um, just, I mean, listen, the name that um, stands out to me, and I think we've had that we had, we were talking about it somewhere, is Dante Fabro. Mm-hmm. Not on the list. Even and and even Philip Forsberg not being on the list is a is a really big surprise to me. I don't think so. I, 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 it wasn't for me because he's up next year, and if if there are there's no point playing like really trading someone unless you're going to get good value. And I'd argue of the guys are looking to move. I think Forsberg gets you the most. Um, I think what we should keep in mind as well is the moment, you know, Canucks Twitter is like, go get Dante Fabra. We have to remember with trading is there are guys saying, like a few years ago when, when Mark Bergevin said, the only guys I'm not trading are Weber and, and Carey Price. 
it doesn't mean a GM is actively trying to shock them. You could just say, listen, I'll listen to the offers, right? Though it is a bit concerning to hear because for years it was it was okay with trading PK. Years isn't like he was there for like a decade. You know what I mean? Like there in that span, it was okay that they got rid of PK because they had Dante Fabra. Um, uh, though beside that, I mean, fair enough. I like as much as Yossi's deal not like sucks. I think nowadays the level of defenseman that he is, I think you could probably you could move him. Though there would you'd have to take money back. Who wants to do that right now? It'd be complicated. Well, they're gonna have to do that for like half the deals they have, anyways. Yeah, especially the Southern. Yeah, I think a big thing is when we mentioned Dante Fabro, is maybe it's just the vision of the team has really changed from the time they drafted him to now. Because I remember they want to be extremely patient with him, that they let him go to school that they let him play here gradually and then let him be fully immersed in the lineup because he went 17th in the draft, but he was considered a steal at that point. So it was something really uh, surprising there. And to not have him on that list is, again, like that doesn't mean he's going to be dealt, but it's just kind of a weird thing you don't give to what, in my view, is a young asset that if you want to transition to the new era, you would want to keep around, especially someone who's a bit more polished. He's younger, but he's a lot more polished than all of the younger guys they have in the system. It is a young defenseman who has not even played 90 games in the NHL. He's at 85. So um, there's a lot. There's um, there's a player there. Um, what would Nash- you get from Matthew Shane? I'm just like, we're just throwing ideas out there. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, you're probably going to have to retain. Um. I don't even know, to be honest. Like I haven't, I'd have to sit down and hard think about what, what in the world someone would like length, because the thing is flat cap length of contract, size of contract. Is he going to work in your system? It's not that Matt Duchesne is necessarily a bad player, but it's, it's going to be tough justifying that. Because he was paid to be that guy for them, but he's just like I wrote this in my previous article. Sorry for the amount of plugs I have of myself today. But last night, Luke Cunnan was the first line center, a guy who's not even a natural center, right. playing with Mikael Grundland and Philip Forsberg. There's, there's, you think right away. I'm thinking, all right, um, he, he would ideally. I would tackle it from an approach of you try and swap players that need to change the scenery. And I think, okay, who needs centerman? Who has cap space? Well, right now they don't have any, but they're going to have $8 million off the books because I don't think you're re-signing Taylor Hall. Maybe, and I mean maybe Buffalo. But beside oh. that, yeah, you really, that's off the top of my head. You'd have to really sit down and think about who would, who would take him in that, in that, era, that, that thought. And Johansson? I don't even know. I don't even know. That's it's difficult. Um, but again, like Forsberg, you shouldn't have any problem dealing. If you deal Arvidsson, I, I would I would line up to get that's, that. That's a guy. That's a player that I, I could I could see like a playoff contender getting him at like the deadline or something. Can't wait for Colorado to get him. That's the that's the team I was thinking of. <laughs> he would he would be really good there. Just a little pain in the ass and skate and score. I love I love him so much. All right, main event, a ring a ding ding. Haven't done that in a while. Leafs Habs played last night, 5 3 win for the Leafs. 
Story, Austin Matthews is really good and is going to, is going to score 50 goals. I mean, I just he's locked up the Richard. It's incredible to watch him play right now. Steve Daniel tweeted he's watching the best leaf of his lifetime. And maybe if it's a bit premature, see if you want to say that right now we could be looking at the best Maple Leaf of all time. And it is coming from a Canadian fan. Um, it hurts to watch, but it's also uh, it's a spectacle to watch this guy. I think there's a legitimate argument to be made purely based on skill. Um, obviously, he's been here for five years. He haven't, hasn't made it past the first round, so it's hard to declare him the greatest Maple If he wins the Cup in Toronto, greatest Maple Leaf of all time. No yeah. question. Like, yeah, it's so... Than Felix Potvin? Yeah, like, it's, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult not to justify it. I know there's guys who have won multiple cups, but he is so he is so good. He makes it look easy. No, no, nothing. He just he just makes it look easy. Some would say he's he's good. Some would say he's good, Daniel. Yes, I think, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's 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 a kind of thing where it's just let me just enjoy this. Yeah, but at the same time, it's just that argument that I I love that it's happening now because of all those times where he missed games, where people said that you know he wasn't really kind of showing that two way game. It's just it's finally showing up now in such a huge way these past few games that he is in that conversation as one of the best players right now. That I think that. For all the like, you know, like a big argument was like, oh, he never hit a hundred points, but who cares? He's doing so well. Fifty goals does a lot for you. Again, what's it since? Uh, I think of the current crop of players, the only guys who have hit, hit fifty. Let's say Sid may have done it once. Malkin's done it. Uh, Stamkos did it. Hit sixty. Ovechkin, oh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Leon and and um and Austin's probably going to do it this year. If not. You know, for an 82 game at this level of his play. And it's scary to think he may not even be at his best yet, which is uh, just incredible. This, and this sounds kind of crazy, but at this level that he's performing, and by the way, I don't want to hear anyone talk about shooting percentage ever again after that. He is just making it seem like a fool's tool, by the way. Is it one of those stats now? It's like a plus minus. Okay, I'm not gonna say that. But. I, I I think it depends on the player, though. I think I get I get what you're saying. I just think mm-hmm. it depends on the type of player we're talking about. Fifteen is incredible. What he's doing now is just game breaking. Yeah. One thing I think about, and you know, I may be really wrong here because you know we talk about Selkie nominations and we talk about you know it's a different style of an environment, but I'm gonna go on the limp here and say that he has exceeded what his draft comparison was. He's exceeded Anze Kopitar. Well, okay. Quickly before that, by the way, I just wanted to say one thing, mm-hmm. the pace he's going now, this honestly, somehow it, it might be his best goal scoring year ever. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he goes, does this year hits 56 or something. And he never does like he can hit 50, but there's a real chance that could, this could be his best goal scoring year ever. And it's incredible because of the schedule. I just wanted to say that. Um, the Selkie conversation is interesting because I think people 
he is he's no longer alive. Like what he's been able to turn around in his two-way game in a calendar year has been incredible to watch. Though I, I think we need to realize what a selkie trope because like I know Joe said he deserves a selkie. I'm like, okay, there is there is a good two-way player, and then there is Sean Couturier. That is, there is there, and it's incredible that that guy can hit thirty on a great year. But like, is he great two way? Yeah, he's turned into that. Though I think people need to calm down with the selfie talk because I'm like, God, like that's like I'm not saying he's a mess. I'm not trying to take away from his game at all. I mean, you're a fool to do that. It's just oh, there's people who would do that. I just think but. he's more valuable to the system than Anze Kopitar. Then like, cause I'm just thinking of draft comparables. Oh yeah. Of what happened there. And um, by the way, I love that we're on a first name basis with Joe Thornton now. <laughs> is, is that what did I just said? You said Joe, like Joe mentioned. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Apparently he loves people. He just loves talking. So you know. friendly guy. Great beer. Well, well, when we're all vaccinated, we'll visit him in St. Thomas, Ontario. Probably be have you gone does he there live in, does he live in St. Thomas, Ontario, or does no, he so live in I, Switzerland in the off season? I don't know actually. I have a funny story about that. Okay. Not about Switzerland, but about oh. St. Thomas. Okay. When I was a kid, I went there f- um, for a Thomas the Tank Engine. Apparently, that's a huge uh, event for the small town there near London, Ontario. And wherever you go on every streetlight, there's a banner of Joe Thornton. Why not, man? Because like the Thornton family are just like including like Sean Thornton and uh, Leafs great Scott Thornton. Um, they they just all grew up there. So like, but like everyone just loves Joe Thornton, and it was funny because it was all Boston Bruins stuff. But he was on the Sharks at the time. You know, it's really funny. You were talking about Crosby earlier. His first game in Pittsburgh. It's really funny. I was watching a replay of it, and he's playing the Bruins, and it's like he's playing against some of the great centermen of the game, Joe Thornton. I'm like, oh yeah. It's incredible. Um, also, I think we we would we would have to we have to take a second to acknowledge Michael Hutchinson was really Alex does. good in no. his game against Ottawa. I thought he made. Do you, some- know, do you know why he looked good? Why? Because the the team it was it's I think it's been a discussion. This is what I noticed, and it's been a discussion for I don't know how many years. Limited the amount of high danger chances. I, it, it like it's just a fact it's just that's what happened mm-hmm. and of course like if they're shooting from the outside it's i'm not listen i'm not downplaying michael hutchinson's performance i think yes he looked he looked much better than he has last year but i the reason behind it is because the leafs played defense mm-hmm. thankfully and I don't think he's ever, he had that in the past it, it, with this team with Colorado. I think that was the case as well. Like you look at Colorado's defense last year, like they're kind of good or something. I don't know if we we've talked about it. They're kind of good. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happened there. I don't. I think I. I don't know if I want to say my faith is restored in Michael Hutchinson. I have to see him again. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's a, I have a complicated relationship with Michael Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. Also, He's a great guy, though. Also on the goalie front, I thought Frederick Anderson was really, really good last night. Yeah, he, he uh, did look while good. While giving him crap for those those two goals. I mean, Jesperi Kakunin is a great shot. And, like, you don't keep giving away breakaways. Yeah, I thought Frederick was 
it, I, I saw that thread and uh, JD Bunk, obviously they JD Bunkus and him got into, there was a little thread going on there, but um, on, on uh, leaf sour, they were talking about the important thing to how to evaluate Freddie this year. One of the things is how many games have they, has he won versus how many games has he lost for this team? Not, on not the win loss record, but how many games has he been the in, the the impact main impact for this team? And right now, I'd argue he's won more games for this team than he's necessarily lost. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's no goaltending controversy. Daniel, you want a word on the goalies here? That sounded like uh, the last dance. There's no backstab thing going on here. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Michael Hutchinson was solid i think that he's going to be good in this role now of maybe a back-to-back or you know the occasional kind of game i think toronto's really kind of transformed itself what alex said defensively or in terms of a unit from what we saw during his first time with the leafs i just keep thinking about that tim stutzel goal on him because it was just a bit deflating to see but it was just such a such a great snipe Mm -hmm. um I, I agree that, you know, Frederick Anderson's still going to be that guy. It's still going to kind of have to ride him a while longer, especially we don't know with Jack Campbell when um, he's going to he's gonna be back eventually, but we don't know how many games we want to put him in there. Um, there's one thing I kind of mentioned, but is it going to be like the Freddie kind of thing where he's just going to keep playing these amount of games or are we going to see like what other teams are starting to do where that third guy – ends up playing like are we gonna see a joel wall play uh, i i don't think so i don't think we're gonna see a joel wall play i do think you're right though i think we're going to see toronto implement that approach more and i think we saw it i think once campbell's back we'll really see what sheldon keith is gonna do but with that short period of time where campbell was healthy he was i i think he a couple games he played on non-back-to-backs. So I, I do think that's something Keith is going to do moving forward. And I think it's a smart thing to do because the issue with Freddie is he gets to the end of the season or the playoffs and he looks tired. Like he's, it's, he's clearly tired. Mm-hmm. So we got to get, we, we, now that we have Jack Campbell, let's make sure that Freddie's not tired by the end of the year. So a lot of discussion around Tavares and Nylander. Goaltending, Matthews. Why are we talking about Travis Boyd? Why is he in the dock, guys? I don't know. I didn't put Travis Boyd in. There. I love Travis Boyd. Uh, solid depth guy. We've talked about it before, but he's just performing. He's just that guy where it's like a gritty Tyler Ennis. <laughs> that's fair enough. That, that's a really good comparison. He He hasn't looked awful. Which for a fourth line guy, like he's looked good. I mean, for a fourth line guy, that's kind of pretty much what you want. Um, I still can't believe he's on. He was on PP one last night. I thought that was funny, and I just didn't expect it. But he he hasn't looked awful, man. He makes me happy when he scored. Just like it's just so genuine that this is a guy that work. He worked for it. Like he doesn't have the the, the Matthew shot, but he just worked for it. Um, I, I love how um, we've, we've ranked we've ranked the greats of all time. Talked about Ovechkin, the new age of era, like new era of scores and, and greats. 
and we have to take a second to talk about Travis Board. Mm-hmm. What is he, 72? Yes. Yeah. Weird number. 71 is good. 72, what are you talking about? Okay. It's like uh, Sergey Brabovsky. <laughs> yeah, 72 is a weird number. 73 is weird. 71 is fine. Great number. I wear that. That's my number. 71. Okay. I want to just say something about William Nylander. Okay. Bit of a benching there. I talked about it. I didn't even notice that until I was watching. um, It was in the, like, uh, the inter, not the intermission between um, the Leafs Habs game and the Battle of Alberta. I didn't even realize he he was benched. It's more to do, and I said it last week, and I just want to make it very, very crystal clear about this is. I'm getting really, really sick of the people defending William. I've been, obviously, like Steve Simmons, like, well, whatever. Like, I don't care. We're used to that. And it's like, yeah, no, no. Like, everyone's always going to criticize every player more. But I feel like they're getting a bit too annoying when it comes to defending him. It's like, it's, and it's the same on both sides. That there's no acknowledgement of, of, of the bad side of his game from his fans and the damn negatives from the, say, the positives from the people who don't like him. And it's so annoying. It's getting – and again, I'm, I'm not even a Leafs fan, and I'm getting so sick of it. It's like, guys, he's a flawed goddamn player. Just acknowledge it. Like, it's, it's so simple. Like, like I, ah, it's just – like the benching is, I don't give a crap about benching. Oh, he deserved it. It's hilarious. It's like Line is going to one out of Columbus now. Nylander sits, ah, yeah, he's lazy. It's like, like benching is nothing new, especially like this season. It's like a cup of tea now. It's, it's, it's the, it's the it's hour like, on the clock. It's like the fifth time. It's been like two months. I really like that. Our game and two of the best players going back to back right now. We're wasting time talking about Nyland. No offense to him, great player. I again, I think he would be a sensational Montreal Canadian. Like, I I understand the zone entries. They would love that on the power play. He'd be amazing. No, he. God, he's not perfect. He he has not looked uh, great the last couple of games. And you brought you said you didn't know. Like I noticed. I noticed when Tavares was playing with Kerfoot and I want to say it was Mikheyev. Yeah. It honestly could have been Travis Boyd too. I can't remember. I I specifically remember William Nylander not being on the ice. I think I didn't notice because I was so dejected because my team. (laughs) But he deserved it. Like he's just, he hasn't looked good the last couple games. And I mean, neither is Tavares, but. I mean, I thought Tavares looked much better last night than he has. He had the the last few games. You gotta learn your lesson, man. Like, and I think Keith brought it. Keith said it uh, in the press conference last night. Like, we have we we built up the standard, and he wasn't matching it. Everyone mm-hmm. else was matching it, and he wasn't. And damn right, if you're not gonna do that, not gonna get on the ice. Like Travis Boyd looks looked better than you. You know what's going to happen? He's going to have a sensational stretch now, and everyone's going to forget about it. And, and it's going to be so that annoying. Was, uh, and that that's what Nylander is, though. You make a good point. That's 100% what Nylander is. He has eight, about an 8-10 to 10 game stretch of really good play, and then he'll have like a five-game stretch where he doesn't look great, and it's just back and forth, back and forth. What player isn't like that? Like, what player in his money range or his skill level – isn't like that. 
All of them. There's a reason he's not being paid $11.5 million. And before anyone says Pasternak, it's a really good contract and they are completely stuck. If you, if that, right. If you think, if you're comparing him to David Pasternak, either you haven't watched David Pasternak or haven't looked at his contract properly. Don't understand what's going on. Sorry, Daniel, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just mentioning um, on the Steve Dangle podcast that there's also mentioned too, that they acknowledge that, you know, there's going to be those front line, those, those, uh, those, um, those headlines of like, you know, the Steve Simmons kind of stuff, but it just, it is what it is at this point where, you know, you know what you have with Nylander, he's 25, that exactly what you guys said that, you know, he's not going to be known as the guy, but you know, he's going to be, you know, a, a respected member of the top six when he's bringing it. But it's not like I'd be more concerned if, you know, a, a Mitch Marner was having a, a kind of game like this. You know who William Nylander really reminds me of? Uh, but on the higher level, um, like I think he's a better player. He kind of has the same treatment that Jonathan Druin has. Like when he's on, like, oh, my God. Like ridiculous, ridiculous playmaker. But when he's off, it's just like – And we can Don't talk – like, Druin shooting last night was like, Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people mm. were mad. Uh, Druin has no way to a shot. But like I was thinking like – and you know, you guys know how much I love Drew, but it was just like I feel that same way about Nylander that I do with Drew a lot. Um, and again, if you don't want him, I'll take him. Come no, on. I do want him. I do. Yeah. I don't. They don't speak for the the fan rest of the fan base. We love you, Willie. Indeed. Um, anything else we want to say about the Leafs here, guys? I don't think so. I guess no. We're good. We're going right. to Habs front now. Yeah. Sure. Um, I see Daniel first. You want to talk about the taxi squad stuff because, of course, now Paul Byron was like, it was just weird. It was like a million dollars in cap space they accumulated with having him on waivers over the past of their bye week. Uh, played last night, I thought was actually, I think he had a very, very strong bounce back. Same with Tatar, he had a few bobbles of the puck, which is a horrible lineup, but like you can tell they were really, really fine. And with that, Corey Perry needs, I think, it's one more game before he has to be waived again. At the same time, I think they've kind of built the cap space. But like it is, I hate saying this. It's a story to keep an eye on with the cap situation. Um, and also, Mikhail Froelich had a conditioning stint with the Rocket. Um, so it, it, there's word that they're going to see if he can get a look in. I don't think it's been confirmed if he's going to be playing tonight or anything yet. I haven't really, I haven't looked at Twitter on the show for once. I haven't done it. Um, so unless there was something else with the cap you really wanted to talk about, Daniel. Um, oh. I think it's just not nothing too big, but it's just something that I've kind of think about where Eric Angles was saying during the practices that they're not going to have a, like what we said before, Corey Perry play every, every game no. that no, they're giving, giving him a bit of a load management uh, like Kawhi Leonard in a way. But um, it's just interesting for me that how are they going to balance everything now with the amount of guys, like they have too much of a good thing on the wing now. Yeah. Where it's like, how how are you gonna kind of tell? I mean, like they're veteran guys, but how are you gonna kind of adjust things? Like you're not coming in, you're not gonna be playing a few games. You know, be gonna be riding on this like hot streak with things. That how are you gonna kind of address that now? Because you know, like these are guys have been around. So I'm not saying it's like the same situation like Victor Mete, where it's a young guy trying to make his mm. trying to make his mark on the game still. That he wants to play as much as he can, especially when he's gotten the confidence from Mark Bergevin. So. It's just kind of interesting for me when you'll have these guys that, you know, they're all pros. They've, I mean, other than Paul Byron, they've all won. Mm-hmm. So 
It's just like, I just would like to know what the message would be. You know what? Bergeron was asked about that. And he's like, you know, they gotta, he says like, if you play well, you stay in the, you stay in the lineup. Right. And like Paul Byron wasn't good. He got kicked off. You know, Thomas Tatar wasn't great. They kicked him off. Um, you know, you bring up an interesting thing there. And it's like Victor Mete was mad, even though if he had waited a few more days, he was getting in the lineup. Fro Lake hasn't complained once. And he hasn't touched the ice for the Montreal Canadiens in the game. Like, it's just like, Jesus Christ, young players now are, they're really but, certain turned basketball players. I think, I think that's more to do because when, I don't think Froelich signed this contract without talking to Bergeron and saying, hey, listen, you're probably going to be on the taxi squad for most of the time. Whereas I think with Mete finishing last year, I don't know if he expected not to play. I don't think we walked into, even when he signed his extension, I, I think we expected him to play more than he has, especially not sitting for that, that stretch. I think there was a, definitely an expectation that the moment Rat Roman Romanov showed up, I think the writing was on the wall for him. Like, same with the Edmondson signing. I mean, like, and don't forget, it wasn't like Mete signed right away. Like, he, mm-hmm. he took his time. Like, he's a Darren Ferris guy. And, like, it's not like in the past, Froelich has been the most quietest player. He's a Ferris client. He, he in Calgary, I remember, demanded a trade at one point. Or it was in Buffalo. So he, he hasn't been afraid to talk before. But, like, again, but the cap stuff, is, they're just going to – we're going to keep an eye on that throughout the thing. Because, again, it's it's when Perry first waves and in Froelich is when it's going to, like, really get interesting. Um, and, again, I don't think cap stuff is – unless – until there's actual movement, who cares? Like, right now. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if Perry waves again, like – if he's going to be claimed. I mean, right now you look at it, you can probably say, yeah, but again, he's cheap in that. And he's proved he can still play this season. There are teams who could use Corey Perry right now. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to lose him for nothing. I like Corey Perry. He's, he's such a prick to play against. He's great. I love this love. Yeah, he's a good player. I love this love of Corey Perry right now. Yeah, that don't like Corey Perry when you're playing against him. It's that simple. Um, kind of like Josh Anderson. And I am waiting for him and Jake Muzzin to have a fight yesterday. No, honestly. I, it's happened. It's going to happen. It was like Anderson had like five hits in the first, and they were like all against Muzzin. I, they, I think they had the graphic up to how many hits they've had against each other for the last uh, three or four games. I don't remember how many they've played this year. Um, when do they play next, the Habs and the Leafs? Oh. April? All right. So maybe we'll wait for that or a playoff series. So they played how many games against each other? Four. They're gonna play six games against each other, right? They're supposed to be ten times this year. Wow! If it doesn't, I'll be so disappointed. Yeah. Um. With Montreal, it's there's two things we can really we can look at here. Um. And, and starting with last night, I thought Carey Price played um, one of his strongest games of the season, actually. It's, it's a shame that, like, his stats are really not reflective of his play to the start of the season. He's been very, very good. Um, Allen has outperformed him. But last night, I thought he was great. It's just like that save on Mikheyev was like, ah, very good to see you. And it feels like last night there were definitely some gaps with both teams. 
I want to say all, and if the ones, the guild, the goals that were not, you know, just sort of defensive core, sort of like mess up some other teams were the power play goals, I want to say. Um, it's holy crap that Matthews go, what are we going to do about it? But um, story of the night was, oh my God, odd man rushes from Montreal. And we're just going to give Marner a look in. We're going to give Matthews the open lane. Um, and even the first Matthews goal, um, penalty trouble again. And I hate to lay a game, by the way. But um, just a general thought, I think they played better than they did in the first two games, but more victories don't mean anything right now anymore, guys. I thought on Montreal's play last night against the Leafs. Um, I mean, in the first period, I thought Montreal was the better team. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wasn't necessarily in. For me, that that reason was I wasn't necessarily impressed with the Leafs' first period, but I I just I don't know what happened with Montreal. Like I felt I don't know about you, but for me, it just felt like the second period. It just wasn't wasn't there. Something wasn't there. It was like something was missing. I think the goal, the challenge, I think killed their game because they had all the momentum. That was so weird. That was, that's another story. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, if Joe Thornton's goal counts earlier in the week, that's a good goal last night. And Absolutely. That goal, I thought, okay, technically it should like going back to Thornton's goal. I thought that okay, that shouldn't be a goal. But Matt Murray needs to be a lot harder with his pads there. I think letting Joe Thornton at this point of his career, gray beard, letting like pushing in like that, I thought was terrible. And it was just uh, like I, I knew it wasn't going to count. But what's frustrating with it is is there, and I think a part of how it just killed Montreal's momentum is they're they're pushing hard. And, you know, they had those two blitzing goals to tie the game up too. Um, which was, you know, it's great to see. That's that's part of Montreal. Like you can't just kick them down. I think they're they're a hardworking team, and it took two goddamn reviews. Apparently, the first one was to conclude if it was it had crossed the ice, but the the ref on the ice had signaled goal, and I was under the assumption that you only do that when you see the puck cross the ice. So then we do all of that which is hilarious, and that's the call. It's like, all right, confirmed it's a goal. But then we need to have a separate challenge where Sheldon Keefe challenges the play, and that's a good goal. That's right, and then that is when the goal gets called back. Listen, again, I said in the group chat, I didn't think that goal was going to count. However, get it right. You can't, and this is more than just screwing Montreal's momentum. This is where you kill the game is it takes, and I've been a proponent of getting the call right, but now I'm at the point after that. And this is, again, this is a goal that went against the team I cheer against. No, no, no too much radio, video review. Just if, if they mess it up, mess it up. Because you just, there is such excitement in the game. You have this great Saturday night, Montreal, Toronto. Could you imagine the crowd, you know, the Montreal get within it, but then they're behind again. Now they're within one. And then you just have like five minutes of review and you just, kill the viewing experience well i think there's a simple solution what's that there's no there's no reason when they watched that review the first time and they saw that it because there's literal precedent it's not like this is the first time like i don't even think joe thorns was the first time a, a player put hit a pad and the puck went in like this must be a very common thing there is no reason that they can't call that play. I think it's ridiculous that 
if they challenge for one thing, but if they don't challenge it for offside, they challenge it for goaltender interference, but the play was offside that they can't call offside. That's, mm-hmm. that's no, this, this is, that's insanity. That's like the, that's like going to court for something. And then they discover something else, another crime that you committed and say, sorry, we can't charge you for that crime because we're only talking to you about this one. It's that just, sounds insane. It's just dumb, Daniel. It's just, uh, could you imagine then if like something like Claude Julian is now challenging the play? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess those two calls in a row is just, it's just like the refs like second guessing themselves in a way where, you know, you have like, oh, it's a good goal. And then it's like, you know, let's actually challenge this and, you know, let's correct the mistake we kind of made there. But then it's just kind of like, like you're right. Like imagine if Claude Julien's like, okay, I'm going to challenge this challenge. Yeah. Just, in, in a way where it's just. Challenge to the challenge. Where it just, it's, it's ridiculous at that point where I really agree that the momentum that Montreal kind of had there were a ridiculous second period to begin with just kind of falls flat at that point where eventually like the game just didn't have that momentum it once had. And it, it's unfortunate because like, you know, these are like, I mean like the burst the like the scoring burst at the beginning of the second, yeah. this is what you kind of expect from Montreal Toronto game that you never know what is really going to happen. But I wanted to see more of that going into the third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? They just, they, they killed the viewing experience of that game, in my opinion, I think I think they really, really did. It was nice to see Toffoli get another one to like try and give him a bit of a spark at the end. But it was also really nice to see uh, Carey was just not letting um, Austin get the hatch. He's like, we love no. the equipment though. He looked incredible last night. Oh my god, the red pads, the retro reverse blues, which are cursed, but look oh, so nice with his. His um is more retro looking or modern day looking um, uh, Patrick Waugh tribute mask. Oh my God, he looked amazing, Carey Price last night. He that is one of the best looking goalie combination of gears I have ever seen in my life. Uh, seriously, I was blown away by it. he. He had a really good decision there to not use his like what new whitish pads with his uh, his steampunk mask. I thought Kerry looked put it together really, really nice. He's been really experimenting with his gear. Um, also, I, I think Montreal got a bit too physical last night. You know, Weber really bid on the play to Matthews that led to the Marner goal. Credible by Marner. He's so fun to watch. Um, Never doubted his shot. No. Um, so I do think they need to to uh, sort of tighten up on that end. Like, you know, you don't forget the defensive structure. That's that's a typical goal that I would allow playing NHL when I go to crush the body. and. <laughs> Now down six nothing. This is terrible. It's just too tempting in the game, in the video game. It is. You always want to go for the big hit. You never just want to uh, pinch. Yeah. Um. And then looking ahead, they played the Sens today. Montreal, I think it's they play their last like thirty odd games in like seventy nights or something like that. So whoever playing the schedule for them this year really boned them because they have basically two bye weeks in the first four weeks of the season. And then they're just screwed for the rest of it. I can't stand it. They really did Montreal dirty. Wait, I don't understand why there's two bye week. That that we were. I think we were all under the impression that it was supposed to be this extremely compact schedule. We're gonna have all these back to backs, and it, you know we might even need three game three games in a row. But there's two bye weeks. It, it wasn't even like because it was they had their road trip and then they had like five days off. Yeah. 
their home opener, and that was it. You're, I'm thinking, are you just serious? So you give them a crappy road trip to start the year, which yeah. apparently is really good for teams. It says they have a good one, which they did. Was that question? Oh, okay, go finish what you're saying. Um, and then, yeah, just the rest of the season. is, And then they get their bye week in February, and now there's just no room. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I, I, no, I just had a question. Was Did they start on the road trip because there was an issue with – playing in Montreal because I remember that being talked about but I don't remember it ever being confirmed where it did they didn't know if the province of Quebec was going to let them play and they it's and they had already scheduled it or something like that I don't know because they got AHL thumbs up before um before the Belleville Sens and the Marlies got it so I I don't know um I, I really don't know, but it's it's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. There, you know, everyone's having a bad schedule, but at the same time, it's just having all your rest in the first two months. It's just, thank God they have Jake Allen. I'm looking ahead. I don't know if it's even been confirmed yet, but he's. I think it, it's it's safe to say Jake Allen will get the nod tonight versus the Sens. Uh, what do Montreal need to do now to sort of like get the season? They have games in hand over around like Edmonton and that. I think first division is gone. I think they've lost that. I think that's completely self-inflicted, by the way. Um, but what are we looking for Montreal to do tonight against the Sens? Not screw up. Like, play like they did at the beginning of the season. But I think more basic than that, don't get complacent. And what do you think, Daniel? Tighten up. Um, they have the talent. They have the depth. Um, they've shown it, what Alex said earlier in the season. You know, bring that again. Um don't get into bad penalties because that's really been the issue that, you know, play a more disciplined game and make the most of the chances, especially when you have that, like the three line monster they have going on. Yeah. Um, I believe that is everything. Um, and yeah, I, I checked. There's nothing about lines or anything that seems to have been confirmed. Um, also sucks in that much sure I have no time to practice. It's going to be a mess. Um, all right. Travis Zajac is taking the S for his 1,000th game. Good for him. Should have been the guy. Oh, probably. That contract he's going to be signed for. I remember when he, the Lemuel signed him to that contract. Oh, fun times. <laughs> By the way, um, I think this is a quote um, that Arpon Basu just, just tweeted out. Um, I don't know. I think it's from Sheldon Keefe. Um, quote, the fact that we got more time allowed us to get more views of it in different angles. This is in reference to the cocky Nemigo that was just allowed. Mm-hmm. So that was the biggest thing. Probably the initial angle we had was just the overheads and it was tough decision based on that. But we got a couple more looks from different angles that made us want to go ahead with it. Um, it's one of those ones that based on all studies that we would have done and all historical stuff with it, it was one where we weren't really sure which way it was going to go, but felt confident enough at least to give it a shot, a two goal lead worst case, we're going to dig in and kill a penalty. But the one angle in particular from the ice, I thought there might be a good chance it can get turned over. Fortunately it did. So basically the additional time also gave Keith a double check to see if he could review the goal. That's great. Love to see it. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Um, also, one thing I got really mad about. Okay, I do want to point this out. Sorry, one last thing. Um, I loved the officiating last Saturday because they just let the game go. 
Last night, that last penalty, what, God, what was it? It was like the last one to Foley got. And I remember when Montreal were trying to get the empty netter last week, to Foley got like three penalties, like was, was just getting mauled. And there was nothing. And I saw him get that call last night, and I thought, typical NHL officiating. Like, just inconsistent. I'm like, are you like, these clearly are different refs. And you can, this is the thing, like, you can. I don't think it was. Oh, no, you're right. It was. It was. There's just clearly no actual rule book for the NHL, and they just sort of go whatever. Again, Montreal at the end of it did not deserve the win. But at the same time, talk about what happened in their game. They lost all momentum because of that call. Um, I I hate the NHL so much for so many reasons. Um, thank you again for Donald coming on. I'm sure we can get all his link stuff and, and get that for the yeah. opener. Um, we'll have him on to talk about basketball. Because um, the Raptors, they're a good team. They're interesting. They beat Giannis. So they come to Toronto. I love his brother knocking on wood every time Giannis takes a free throw now. <laughs> um, thank you to Voicehead as always for being a fantastic platform for the show. Check out Alex's blog. Check out Daniel's stuff for the eye opener as well as the hockey writer. Check out my YouTube channel for all your Habs needs. If you're listening on the podcast app for iOS, be sure to give us a five-star review. Check us out anywhere you listen to your podcast. It can be anywhere, like anywhere. We're everywhere. Spotify, Podbean, somehow. We don't know, but we're there. Um, Check out the YouTube portion of the show to not only see our beautiful faces, Don and all that, but be sure to check out. The Leafs may have won, but I still have my championship belt as the quiz champion. Anything else to say, guys? Nope. Goodbye. Thank you.